Well, there's our theme music for our series through the book of Luke. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. We're at the very end of the book of Luke. We're finishing up. We'll be uh, starting Malachi at the first of the year. And so if you want to read the book of Malachi, it's the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, we encourage you to do that, to kind of begin to try to understand it, read through it. And um, as I said before, we're in the midst of our series. We've stolen the Superman theme song because it's Jesus is the ultimate hero. He's the ultimate Superman. He came to seek and to save the lost. And Luke has been talking about the fact that he is the son of man, that, that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament that Daniel talks about and that is laid out for us. And our theme verse that we've looked at is, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And, and that's really the theme, right? That, that Jesus came to show humanity that God wasn't just off in a distance. He desired to seek us out, to want to know us, and he wanted us to know him. And he also came because he wanted to see that we were in desperate need of being saved. We live in a world that if you haven't woken up to it, it is a world that's perishing. Something's going to get you. I, I mean, eventually. I don't know what it'll be, but something will get you. Something isn't going to let you keep going in life, whatever it is. And Jesus came to give us hope to know that even in the midst of death, we don't have to fear being lost by God in eternity. And so this morning, we've been looking at a question from the passage that we look at each week. This morning, I want us to ask ourselves the question, weren't our hearts ablaze? And ask that as a question, weren't our hearts ablaze? You know, the Christmas season is a time of year where oftentimes you can watch the movies, you can look around, and it seems like everybody's life is better than yours. Have you noticed that? Like, it seems like it's perfect and wonderful, and everybody, you know, they're going with family, and they're posting on social media, and it's like, yeah, they showed the destination, but they didn't show how they got there, right? Like, they're all smiling, and they're getting their picture taken in front of grandmas, and they didn't show, like, the food being thrown in the back, and, you know, the fight happening on the way there, and, like, they just, they didn't show any of that. It's like this beautiful picture of, we're here, and it's wonderful, and you're all putting on a show for grandma. Like, that's what happens. And so, the issue that we have to really deal with sometimes as believers is, why aren't our hearts ablaze for the things of God, for God himself? You know, this time of year, our hearts get ablaze for what we think we're going to get for Christmas, maybe, our, our favorite present, or our heart is ablaze for, you know, what we can get done, and people we're going to see that we haven't seen in a while. Our heart gets all excited about all these things, college basketball starting back up. For some people, that really gets their heart pumping, Right? You're also, yeah, you're also finishing up the college football season, which is get your heart, like, there's all these things that, that get people fired up. And what we're going to see in our passage this morning is that there's a couple of guys that are fired up about something. They're fired up. They're very emotional. And we're going to see that. And Jesus has something to say to them. And then he has something to say to a broader group of people. And so let me ask you this morning, what gets your heart set ablaze? What fires you up? What should get your heart ablaze? What should fire you up? Like That's something we should ask ourselves on a regular basis. Because if we don't know the answer to that, what can happen is we end up getting tossed around at whatever the next exciting thing is, only to end up at the end of our life very empty. Very empty, wondering, did I live for anything? It seemed like everything I lived for you know, fired up and then it burned out and it was gone. Fired up and burned out when, and like, 
You get to the end of your life, it can be very depressing. And so Jesus wants us to see. So here we are, Luke 24, 13, as we jump in. Luke 24, 13. He says, now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to back up and remember the scene. Jesus has been betrayed. He's been put on trial. He has been crucified. And this is three days later when he's been resurrected. Later in the day. The day of his resurrection. And it might be weird to talk about Easter or talk about the resurrection on Christmas, but the reality of Christmas is this. And everybody that we're going to see in these passages missed the meaning of Jesus' coming, Christmas, because they didn't understand this, what Jesus is getting ready to tell them. Their hearts were ablaze for things that God wasn't ready to set their hearts ablaze for yet. And so these men are struggling. These were probably disciples of Jesus, if not disciples. They were guys that were believers in in Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, because they were celebrating the Passover. The roads would have been busy at this time, just like today. You're going to get on the road probably this week, and it's going to be busy. There's travelers. There's stuff going on. This would have been a very busy time. People would have been traveling home probably from the Passover. There would have been caravans and people traveling. And so there's these two guys traveling down the road after what they just saw happen in Jerusalem. They saw this trial go on. They saw Jesus enter into the city and everybody thought he was the Messiah. They were laying coats down as he rode in on a colt and thought, oh, here comes the new king, the new Solomon. And then he's betrayed, he's crucified and everybody's like, what just happened? And then there's rumors going around that he's come back from the dead. And last week we saw where the women went to the tomb and there was no body. Jesus' body wasn't there and the Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb were gone. And so now it's like this crazy stuff is happening. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of the stories we hear today. You hear this crazy story and you think, can that be true? Like, what is going on? And that's what's happening. They've been walking. And it says, together they were discussing everything that had taken place. Just like you would be. If you were to go to your family reunion and crazy stuff happened at the family reunion, you wouldn't be sitting in the car on the car ride home not talking about it, right? And if you tried to do that, you know what would happen. Somebody in the back, one of your kids, somebody's going to be like, um, Dad and Mom, can I, can I ask you a question? And you're both like, uh-oh, here it comes. You know, why did Uncle Bill, like, why did he throw a turkey at Grandma? Like, I don't understand. What she, like, what happened? Like, and you're going to have to try to grapple with what you just saw happen, right? This is always what happened. So these guys had gone to the festival. All the Jewish people, Jewish males were required to travel to Jerusalem to make the sacrifice for, for Passover. They go there and something different happened. This is a different Passover that ever happened before. Like, these guys are shocked. They're they're traveling and they're like, what did we just see? And they're trying to make sense of it. And look at what it says. And while they were discussing and arguing. This sounds like a car ride home, doesn't it? We're not arguing. We're just having a discussion, right? (laughs) You have very loud discussions. Very opinionated, loud discussions, at least in my house. They're not really, this is they're arguing and discussing. Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them. This this is the Jesus that got crucified, he's dead. He's, 
He's in his resurrected form, and it says then, he added, and then it said, but they were prevented from recognizing him. I don't know what that means. I don't know if Jesus had a different body when he was resurrected and he looked different. We know that his former body was beaten terribly, that his, that his earthly body was, was beaten and his, all the blood from his body was spilled out. That's why when they pierced his side, water came out because there was no blood left in it. Almost. I mean, I don't know what his body looked like, but, but he would have been unrecognizable even if he would have been resurrected in his old body. The damage that it would have incurred. But for some reason, they can't recognize him. Then he asked them, look at this. What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? Have you ever seen this where you see people arguing and you're like, you start to tune in a little bit, right? Okay, none of you do that because you know you're not supposed to gossip and you're so spiritual that you just like, I don't want to listen because I don't want to get into their business. That's not what you do. You're standing in the grocery line and you're like, you kind of turn to get that better you know, like get the angle so it goes right in your ear so you can hear what's going, because you want to pray for them. I mean, you, you're concerned, right? And so, so you're, you're there, and Jesus is walking alongside of them, and you could kind of picture it. He's like walking, and he's kind of listening, and then he just butts in, right? He just is like, hey, what, what's this dispute you guys are having as you're walking? Look what it says, and they stopped walking, so these guys are walking. They've been walking set like seven miles. They stop walking, and it's just like they turn to him, and there's just this discouragement all over their face. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I recognize about this time of year is that this time of year brings a lot of discouragement. Suicide is the highest around Christmas than any other time of year. It is incredibly discouraging for people. This week, on Friday, I went to two memorial services, a viewing and a memorial service. I went to a memorial service for the director, the former moderator of our partnership of churches, the White River Baptist Association, his wife, who passed away just last week. Christmas will never be the same again for Dave. It will always be a reminder of him losing his bride of Many, many decades, who was a pastor's wife, served people, and man, when they gave her story of her life, it was beautiful. Person after person talking about where she was, that she was with Jesus, she knew him. Like it was a beautiful service, but that doesn't get rid of the discouragement and the pain that Dave is going to have to face today. For the rest of his life, a wife that he had and Everything's going to remind him of her. And then that evening, we went to a memorial service of a young girl that passed away, and they don't know why, this week. And we went, and the wait was two and a half hours. Two to two and a half hours was the wait, the line, to get in to, to, to greet her parents and to see her there embalmed, dead. Their Christmas is never going to be the same for them. It's always going to be a reminder of them losing their only daughter and not knowing why. They have no idea how she died or why. Like, these guys are there. 
These guys were so excited about Jesus. They were so excited about what they were seeing happening. And all of a sudden, the rug was pulled out from underneath them. And they're discussing it. And it's hard. And they're, they're struggling with it. And here they are. And when they're asked about it, they stop walking. And you can just see the discouragement on their face. Listen, you're going to see that this Christmas season. People will try to cover it up. Yeah, I'm, do, I'm doing fine. But, but if you'll take the time, there's a lot of people that are hurting. This past week, I mentioned this last Sunday, but this past week, my wife, we had their Tis the Season show, and my wife sat on the steps of the last student to leave the Tis the Season show. She was sitting on the steps with this girl. She didn't have a single family member come to see her performance. Not a one. Listen, there's a lot of discouragement. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe there's something you're going through that is just, you don't know how to talk about it, you don't know how to tell people about it. Listen, here's the best part about this story. Jesus is listening. He's eavesdropping. He's always eavesdropping. And he wants to be invited into the conversation. He wants to know that wants you to know that he's close and that he'll ask you questions and and he wants to to walk with you he goes on it says this the one named Cleopas answered him are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days like he's like dude were you in a hole like if you were in Jerusalem what happened, everybody knows about. Everybody saw Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a colt. He went into the temple. He threw tables over and kicked people out of the temple for their, for their cheating and their stealing and their money habits. I mean, how did you miss what was good? Everybody was talking about what happened. It would be like someone not knowing about Christmas. Like you're, you're a target, you're in line, and you're like, wow, what's all this green and red stuff and these lights? And you're like, it's Christmas. Like, it's, I don't know anything about Christmas. Like, that's literally how they, they're looking at Jesus, like, where were you? And then he looks, he goes, he goes, what things, he asks him. I love this. Jesus knows all this. He, he knows what things. It's not like he's trying to get information. He knows exactly what happened to him, why it happened. What he's doing is he's seeing if they will tell the story. Will they be a witness of what they saw? Will, will they talk to him? So he says, tell me, what, what things? He asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. These guys recognize all the human characteristics of Jesus. They don't call him the son of God. They don't call him the son of man. They say he was a Nazarene. They say he was a prophet. They said he was powerful. Everything's in the past tense. And Jesus is standing alive with them. Listen, for many of us as Christians... We can subtly put God and our relationship with God and a relationship with Jesus in the past tense. It's subtle. It's easy to do. Well, yeah, I got baptized. I prayed a prayer. I went through confirmation. I did this thing, and, and so I'm good. 
Like, like past tense. Jesus wants to be present tense in our lives, not past tense. He wants to be present with us. And so he looks and he says, look, he was powerful. They admit he was powerful, that he had speech that was amazing. And they, so they're telling the story of what happens. And can you just see Jesus just shaking? I, I can't imagine the scene of him going, okay. Man, when you recognize me, this is going to be real interesting, right? Like he's just having this conversation. He goes on, look at this. Look at verse 21, what they say. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Let me ask you, what, what is it that you're hoping for? You know, you go to the store and you see Noel and hope and joy. You see these words that are like Christmas ornaments everywhere, right? What are you hoping for? Because these men obviously were hoping with all hope that Jesus was going to be, listen, was going to be the Messiah, the Savior, the ruler they wanted him to be. They were probably taking off their cloaks and and laying them down while Jesus was coming in on the donkey. They, They watched him turn over tables. They were probably so excited, right? They were probably so excited about him and they were hoping that he was gonna be the one to redeem Israel. See, here's our problem, me and you. We have these hopes and expectations of what we want God to do and how things are going to work out. And when they don't, we, we normally blame God and give up versus saying, wow, God must have a different plan. I might want to get really close to him so that I can walk closer to him on his plan instead of distancing myself and being mad at him that I didn't get my plan. That your hope isn't found in the plan. Your hope isn't found in your expectations. Listen, your hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. But see, this was the problem. All of these people were hoping for a certain type of Messiah. They were hoping for a certain way things would work out. And when it didn't happen, they became discouraged and angry and frustrated. Because that's what these guys were. Confused. Listen, the only way for you to know what's true, we're going to see this in a moment, is that Jesus takes the time, he's getting ready to take the time to show them how they were hoping wrongly. He's getting ready to say, let me unveil to you, let me lay out that you didn't have the right hope. You were hoping in the wrong things and the wrong relationships. It goes on and it says this, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. In other words, it's been three days. If something was going to change, it would have changed by now. God's never on our timetable, by the way, right? If you want to learn anything about scripture, take the time to read your Bible and look for the gaps, There is 400 years between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. 400. That's like almost twice us as a country has been in existence. 400 years. God's timetable isn't like ours. 
He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's caring. He wants to carry things out to show us, you ready for this? That it's not about us. And are you willing to live your life for four generations out because you believe God will use four generations from now? He doesn't have to use you right now. That takes incredible faith. But that's our book. That's our God behind the book. And he says, moreover, look at this. Some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. That's what we looked at last week. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see it. I love this. They're like, these ladies, these women, they saw him, but nobody else has seen him. I mean, can you imagine the smirk? Like, I, I could just see Jesus being like, <laughs> Yeah, no, nobody's seen him. I'm right here. Like, 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 like but nobody else has seen him. Like, and the mercy that these guys, listen, these guys are struggling. They're angry, they're fighting, they're discouraged. They're sharing their story. And the fact that Jesus met them and they're willing to talk about this openly is amazing. It's amazing. And it goes on, it said, he said to them, how unwise and slow you are. To believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus goes right after the heart. He doesn't say you don't understand. He says, no, no, no. He goes, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your heart all that's happened. You're trying to figure this out, having a discussion, arguing from your head. You haven't dealt with the heart. You've got a heart problem. I've got a heart problem. We have a heart problem. And Jesus says, believe in your hearts all the prophets have spoken. Remember, we've looked at this all the way through the book of Luke. All the way through the book of Luke, everybody had expectations for Jesus. They didn't want the full picture of God. They didn't want the full picture of what a Messiah was going to be. They wanted the picture they wanted. They didn't want a Messiah that was going to come and die and pay for their sins and then ask them to die for other people. They wanted a Messiah that was going to come, overthrow the Romans, and then put them in charge of other people. And Jesus did the complete opposite of that according to the scriptures. Because look at what he says. Verse 26, didn't the Messiah, that means the promised Savior going all the way back to the book of Genesis, that Messiah, have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? In other words, the Messiah is glorious, but he had to go through some things first. You want to know where we get in trouble? We want the glory without the suffering. You see it all the time in athletics. Kids that want the glory, they want to play, they want to, they want to, but they don't want to put the work in. You want the glory, but you don't want to suffer to get there. And, and you watch kids, you watch people who, who just don't get it and your heart breaks for them. It's like there's a process in this life. It's one of the reasons why The memorial service I went to was pretty full. But it was mostly full of white-haired people. The first memorial service I went to for Dorothy. But for the young 20-year-old that passed away, it was a two-hour wait. Why? Because we see glory in youth. And when that's taken away, 
it shocks us. We don't see glory in someone who lived a righteous, full, loving, surrendered life. Those people don't have big funerals often. Most of their friends have passed away. You see, that that's what God is getting at. That's what Jesus, and then look what he says. Then beginning with Moses, I love this, and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Jesus says, okay, let me explain to you what Messiah is supposed to be like. Because you've got a false hope and a false version. Your hearts are ablaze, were ablaze for me. I wonder if Jesus recognized them, right? Like he knew where they were. Like your hearts were ablaze for me when I was riding in on a donkey. When I was throwing over tables, you were like, yeah, go get them. Like you were ablaze, but now I'm standing in front of you and you're like, oh, it's just so hard living. I don't know what we're going to do. Like he's been resurrected. He looks and he starts interpreting for them from Moses all the way through the scriptures. I don't know how long this took. I don't know what all he covered, right? But Moses, through the rest of the scriptures, there's a lot there. Like, take your Bible and, like, fold the pages right now. Be like, Exodus all the way to Malachi. It's like, that's a lot. Like, and he's explaining to them, listen, he's explaining to them that the Messiah you should be hoping for is the one who would die and come back to life, and then he'll come again, his second coming. Jesus is now reinterpreting the scriptures for them that they had been misinterpreting their whole lives. And he's saying, you're discouraged because you don't know the scriptures. You don't believe them in your heart. You've already decided in your heart what you want to believe, and you've kept God at a distance, and it's causing fights and discouragement among you. I don't want you to have fights. I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to understand. And so Jesus is taking the time to explain it. Look what happens. In Acts 2, we see this all over the New Testament. Let me ask you this question. If you had to share about the person of Jesus Christ, if you had to share who he was with other people and you didn't have the New Testament to do it, you didn't have the Gospels, you didn't have the Epistles, you didn't have the prophetic books, you had none of that, could you do it? Could you walk someone through the scriptures and tell them how Jesus is the Messiah and what he was going to do if you didn't have the New Testament? Listen, that's what all these people in the book of Acts had to do. And every sermon you see in the book of Acts, this is exactly what they were doing. And we live in a culture where everybody's like, just throw the Old Testament out. It's pointless. We need to get to the New Testament. That's just what it's all about. No. It's one book. You can't just like take half of it out. They're both very important for us to understand who we are and who God is in his fullness. And look at what they, look, Acts 2. We're talking about some certain people. This is Peter, Stephen, Philip, and Paul. Here's how they explained about Jesus to the people of their day. The prophet Joel. For David says, Acts 3, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, the mouth of all the prophets. Moses said, the prophets from Samuel and those who came after him, sons of the prophets, saying to Abraham, Acts 4, out of the mouth of our father David, Acts 7, our father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 patriarchs, Joseph, Moses, prophets, Acts 8, the prophet, Acts 13, the God of this people Israel, judges until Samuel the prophet, Saul, David, John, sons of family, Abraham, Psalms, and the prophets. They weren't looking to write scripture. They ended up writing scripture, but that was their scriptures they wrote were trying to get people to understand the Old Testament. 
When we read the New Testament, the point of it is so that we can see the full picture of the glory of God throughout all of human history. And that's exactly what their hearts were ablaze for, the word of God. Their hearts were ablaze for it. Listen, I am watching people, people's hearts get so ablaze right now with such hope over Star Wars, I'm about ready to puke. I'm being serious. I've never seen more people spend more time. I, I saw a post today of a dad who's like, we're going to watch over Christmas break every Star Wars movie with my kids so they can really understand what the last movie's about. And I'm like, have you even read through the Gospels with your kids? Have you even taken them through the story of God? Or are you going to spend, I'm not trying to be mean, but you're going to spend like a day, two days going through Star Wars with Jar Jar Binks, the worst character ever? Like, and we don't even do this with our kids. We don't walk them through the page, the hope of the scriptures, but yet we'll get stoked about Star Wars. Stay up till midnight. Go with a group of friends. Go have a party afterwards. Have a discussion party afterwards. We'll talk about it. We'll tweet back and forth. It is like we're so excited about things that don't matter. And the most important person at the, one of the most important times in our culture, Christmas, we're silent about. Silent. Look, I'm not against Star Wars at all. I love it. I think it's great. I grew up on it. But why aren't we just as much excited as our fathers were, our, the fathers of our faith, that they were stoked to talk about Joel? Have you even read the book of Joel? They, they were stoked to talk about Abraham. Do you know about the life of Abraham? Isaac and the 12 patriarchs. Do you know who the 12 patriarchs are? Do you even know who these people are? Do you, could you name the prophets? This is our force. This is our Star Wars. And we don't know, we don't even know. And we, and here's the thing. It doesn't even bother us that we don't know. Because it's like, well, nobody really knows their Bible. That's why you go to church. You gotta have that pastor explain it to us. And he tells us what to believe, and then we, you know, we do it, and then our hopefully our life turns out pretty good. No. There were people that were burned at the stake to give you a Bible in your language. Do you understand that? There were men that sacrificed their lives so that you wouldn't be deceived by teachers who were evil and wrong and were manipulating Scripture. And men like Luther and Tyndall laid down their lives because they said, this is wrong. We cannot deceive people like this. They need to know what the Scriptures say. They need to know who God is. There are people today that are dying around the globe to translate the Bible in languages that it hasn't been translated yet. Because listen, they understand what's true and their hearts are ablaze for it. So much ablaze that their captors and their, their persecutors set them literally ablaze on fire. Look, I'm not against... Solomon said, eat, drink, and be merry. Like, enjoy the life we have. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing from God that we're alive, that we're given breath. But can we just be honest that our hearts get so ablaze for things that don't matter? And when it comes to the things of God, it always gets a back seat. His word gets the leftovers. Church gets the leftovers. After I've already made my schedule, if there's time to fit God in, I will. That we don't plan to serve other people. It's just, well, if I can work them in. We need to check our hearts. 
And that's what Jesus is explaining to them. And that's what they did in Acts in the early church. They just walked them through the scriptures and said, well, doesn't the scripture say this? Didn't Joel say that? Didn't Isaiah say this? Didn't Jeremiah say this? They didn't say, well, this is what I think. And this is my opinion. Here's this new book I wrote. And here's your bestseller. And here's how I, no, they just said, what's the Bible say? What does scripture say? And we need more of that in our culture, but they're not going to be at the top of the bestseller list, right? You're not going to get to the top of the bestseller list quoting what's already been written. Because <laughs> people want to have their ears tickled. They want to hear something new and exciting and fresh, something that sets me ablaze. It's like, oh, wow. Versus saying, no, it's the same story. It's, it hadn't changed in like 2,000 years. It's, we've got clarity. Jesus is going to come back at some point, and We just need to be faithful and tell people the story like they did in Acts. He goes on, it says, they came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression, this is Jesus, gave the impression that he was going further. So he's walking with them, and they're like, oh, oh we're here. And you can kind of probably feel the struggle, right? Here these guys have been hearing, look at what happens. They've been hearing the scriptures, and they're like, oh, we don't want him to leave. Because look at what they say. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day's almost over. In other words, stay with us. We don't want you to travel alone, but, but we love what you're teaching us. Man, we're excited to hear what you're saying. Like, we're being encouraged right now in what we saw happen in Jerusalem. And, and we are trying to make sense of the death of, and you're telling us that it makes sense. And, like, we want to hear more about what you're saying from the scriptures. Listen, Jesus wrote the scriptures. But when he wanted to teach these two guys what he needed to teach them, what did he use? What he already wrote. He could have wrote a whole new script. I got a whole new book for you. I'm Jesus. Boop. And magnified himself in light and said, hello. And they would have, ah! And he would have handed him a new book. That's not what he did. He walked them systematically through whatever, through the scriptures to prove to them that God is faithful and has been and he won't stop being faithful. It goes on. Look at this. So he went to stay with them. I love this. He gives the impression he's going further and he wants to see their response. And these guys' response to the person of Jesus that they don't know as Jesus is, we want you to stay. We want to hear more. We, wow. We, what you're telling us from the scriptures is just, we were so angry and so discouraged and we're being, like, we want to hear more. When was the last time that that happened in your life? That as someone's teaching you scripture, you're reading the Bible, it's like you don't want to stop. You don't want to go to class. You don't want to go to work. Like you're so just in love with God reading the scriptures that you're just like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to stop. Like that's exactly where these guys are at. Now look, it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Jesus, when he was in the upper room before Passover, did communion, did the Lord's Supper with his disciples where he broke the bread and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. He took the cup of judgment and he said, this cup of judgment, this is the blood that's shed for you. And he offered them the bread and he said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. You're going to remember me. Isn't it so cool that Jesus walks with them the whole time, doesn't let them remember, but at the moment he commanded disciples to remember, 
at the breaking of bread, they remembered. Jesus is obeying his own command. He said, when you do communion, you'll remember me. It'll be clear. All the scripture, everything about the Old Testament will become clear that that's the sacrifice, that's the lamb, that's, the, that's, those, that's what that is. It all becomes clear. And here these guys are, and when he breaks the bread, they're like, oh, can you imagine that moment? I, I can't. I can't imagine this moment where you think he's dead and people are saying he's alive. You're just two disciples. These aren't even one of the 11. These aren't even one of the special disciples. These two guys are just traveling, probably going home and wondering what's... And he chooses to reveal himself to these guys. Can I just tell you, you don't have to be special for God to reveal himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to anyone who'll listen. Anyone that'll say, come, stay with me. I, I want you. Jesus is like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And he looks and it says he disappears from their sight. So they said to each other, here it is. Weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? These were guys, listen, these were guys that the only textbook they had in school was the scriptures. Like you realize that, right? Like their school was built around Old Testament. Like they would have been required, all Jewish boys were required to memorize scripture, rote memory. And the best ones when they got to age 12 would be inspected and the ones that could really, really interpret scripture and memorize it and quote it and everything else, those guys were given the opportunity, if they had the right political pull, to, to go on to college, to go on to the next level of education. These guys were not guys like we think of where literally people are raised in church today and don't know their Bible at all. That couldn't happen in this time period. Like you got whippings and beatings for not being able to quote your verses, right? Because it was embarrassment to the family that you couldn't quote the Bible and know where your lineage was back to Abraham. Boy, you're going to know. I mean, that's the way this was back then. And so these guys are getting the scriptures they thought they knew. The God they thought they knew is being explained to them. And instead of them being discouraged, their hearts are ablaze going, this is the God we want. This is amazing. I've not seen this before. He goes on and he says this. That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. I wonder how fast they did seven miles, right? I'd love to see their time on that one. Because they're seven, they've been walking and they're like, huh, Let's go. And they're running. I mean, I can't imagine their excitement to want to get back to Jerusalem and be like, we saw him. Holy smokes, he's alive. Like, he broke the bread and we were there. And they found the 11 and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. By this time, by the time they get back, Jesus had already appeared to Simon Peter. You see that in another one of the Gospels. So now multiple people are seeing Jesus alive. And it says, they, then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread, communion. When he broke it, it's like, oh, that's it. And we saw him and then he disappeared, right? And it goes on, it says, as they were saying these things, he himself stood among them. Like, that's like me. I'm saying these things to you. Like, and then this happened, and we're looking in the story, and all of a sudden, poof, he appears over there by the communion table. And he's like, and you're like, that would freak you out, right? You'd be thinking to yourself, is that a ghost? 
what, what's going on? Like, that, that, that's freaky. And it goes, he said to them, peace to you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if something appeared like that, I don't, he knew they were terrified. This was the right word to say, peace to you, right? You're terrified, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Yeah, exactly. Why are you troubled? (laughs) Why am I troubled? Because you died. What if I would have went to one of those memorial services and literally looked at the husband who was there or the parents who were there and said, why are you troubled? My loved one's in a casket. What do you mean, why am I troubled? You put us through misery. What do you mean, why am I troubled? Everything I believe, everything I hope for, all the plans I have going forward have now been turned upside down. For this family, they had planned a family trip together instead of doing Christmas presents. Your heart breaks. When I hugged the father, I looked at him and I said, I have no idea what you're, I whispered in his ear, I have no idea what you're going through. I have not lost a child. But God does because he lost his son. I'm praying for you. He said, that's all there is. Let's pray for me. Pray for us. He looks and he asks them, and why do doubts arise in your heart? Not in your mind, in your hearts. Look at my hands and my feet. That it is I, or it is I, myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still amazed and unbelieving because of their joy, he asked them, hey, do you have anything to eat here? (laughs) I love that. I love that he's there, and it says they're unbelieving. They're they're a ball of emotion right now. They don't know what to do with themselves. Their emotions are overwhelmed by the reality of what they're seeing. Listen, that's what communion should be. It should be an overwhelming reality of what Jesus did for us, because we don't deserve it. Peter would have been in that room. Peter denied Jesus. All of these disciples turned their back except for John who was at the foot of the cross. The rest of them had disappeared, weren't there for him. Communion is that reminder that Jesus shed his blood and gave his body because he knew we couldn't measure up and he became our sacrifice. He lived a perfect life to say you can now live a life in righteousness with me. You can obey me. And I love that he says in the midst of their emotion and and they're just overwhelmed. He's like, Hey, let's order a pizza. Like, no, seriously. Like, he's like, you got anything to eat? Like, that would have been so out of turn. Like, they're like overwhelmed by all these major spiritual, and he's like, hey, you got something to eat? Oh, you're hungry? Yeah, I'm just hungry. Can I get something to eat? Like, you didn't offer me anything. I've been here for like five minutes. Like, I mean, it's a beautiful picture of just the humanity of Jesus. Like, like, he's just, I just want to eat with you. Let's, Let's eat. Then he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's the whole Old Testament. That's everything. 
He's like, didn't I try to explain this to you and you won't believe it? You didn't believe it. Now are you going to believe it now? Like, I'm going to explain it again. Let's, let's explain again. I'm going to explain again to you. Do you believe it? Like, I don't know how many times I got to explain this to you. Isn't that to us as kids? Our parents had to explain it to us like 20 times, and we didn't listen. Why didn't we listen? Because our mind was already made up when the explanation started, right? Like, like you go, hey, mom, no, well, explain to me why you want me to do that. Okay, here it is. I explained it to you. I'm still not going to do it. Like, what the? Why? Because your mind was already made up. Your heart was already made up. You weren't going to do it. You really didn't want an explanation. You were just giving me a test to see if I knew what I was talking about. It's exactly what you see here. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I love this. Now, some people say, was this a miracle? Like the Holy Ghost came down and their minds popped open? Or I don't know. Maybe they were just finally at a place where he started explaining the scriptures and they were willing to be open to the truth that they were rejecting, which was death, crucifixion, suffering. And then he goes on and he said to them, This is what is written, not was written, is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnessing scripture come alive. You are witnessing the moment in history where everything is culminating in this moment until the next greatest moment of Christ's return. That's what this is about. This separates Christianity from everything else. Christianity is not a religion of good works and you do good works and hopefully your good works outweigh your bad and then you stand before God and he grades on a curve and you're better than average and you get in. That's not how Christianity works. That's how all the other world systems and world religions work. Christianity says there is this Messiah, this Savior, this Jesus and you have to make a decision on who he really is and if you make the wrong one, there'll be judgment on you for it. If you make the right one, then he will come into your life and he will begin to change the way you see things and view things. And he will begin to show you things you never thought were possible. And he will ask you to do things that are going to seem nuts to the rest of the world, but are perfectly in line with obedience from his scriptures. It goes on and it said, you're witnesses of these things. Can I tell you? We've walked through the whole book of Luke over the last several weeks. You have been witnesses to the story of the Messiah, to Jesus himself. You've been witnesses to what God can do. What are you going to do with that? goes on. It's the Christmas season. I want us to take a minute because here's what happens when you have your heart set on something. When your heart's set on something, when you've made plans and you've planned it out and, and you've planned righteously, you've planned praying, you've, you've planned the right way and you've laid it out and those plans get twisted and changed like what happened for the disciples and these guys walking on the road and what's going to happen in your life if you know God, he's going to change things around. Why? Because he wants you to see more of himself than you ever thought imaginable. See, there was another young girl who had her life turned upside down, her hopes and her dreams shattered in a moment. A young girl was Mary. Mary had grown up and good Jewish girl, very obedient, 
That's why God chose her, called her righteous. Like, her and Joseph did their relationship the right way. Joseph did the right thing according to Jewish law to prepare for a spouse and to do all those right things. And would you like to be impregnated by God? This is what we believe as Christians. Again, we're either nuts or this is real. There's no middle ground. Like, seriously, there's no middle ground. And so Mary's response could have been one of incredible discouragement. Like, my hopes and my dreams were set up for this. We get Mary's response of faith, and it's amazing. Look at Mary's response when she finds out and she doesn't know if Joseph is still going to be with her at this point. And people don't really know the full story. And most likely she's at Elizabeth's house, her relatives staying with her. And Mary's response is this. And Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit, that's the heart, that's deep within, has rejoiced in God my Savior. In other words, I can't save myself. This isn't about me. This is God who's the Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of her, of his slave. She calls herself a slave. She recognizes her humble condition. I've got nothing. And then he says, surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. We're still talking about her to this day. Drive through town, you'll see pictures of her. You'll see little nativity sets and Mary's there all over the world right now. Because the mighty one has done great things for me. Not what she had done, because I'm so awesome. And I, Nope, because he did. And his name is holy. I, I don't mess with what he says. What he says is what he says and he told me this was gonna happen, so I'm believing him. His mercy, look at this, is from generation to generation on those who fear him. She, in this moment, recognizes what's happening to her. And you can just see her running all the way back to Genesis and thinking of the seed. I'm the seed in Genesis 3. It's me. The seed is, I'm going to bring the Messiah. What? From generation to generation. And then she goes on and she says, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and he's exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just, look at this, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary goes back to the scriptures. In this moment of her singing praise, she is just thinking, Scripture after scripture and Abraham and then Isaac and the, then the 12 tribes and then, and this is everything. Her faith is amazing because she understood the moment she was in. That there was a God who had visited her just like Cleopas and these two guys had to, oh my goodness, Jesus has, has appeared to us. Can I just tell you that that's what he wants for you? He wants to appear to you. I don't mean appear like a ghost. and I mean giving us a gift called the scriptures that we can read and we can see him clearly is a miracle. The accuracy of the Bible is unheard of to any other ancient book or manuscript. 
unbelievable how accurate it is. That it talks about specific people and places and things and then we go find them right where the Bible said they were. With it matching what the Bible said happened. And Mary in this moment is saying with her heart ablaze, I worship God. Listen, can I just tell you that God wants to bring his spirit inside you just like Mary. He wants to have a relationship with you where your heart begins to be set ablaze by him and the things that he offers in a relationship with him. That's why in 2949a it says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. Next week we're going to look at this, that Jesus is talking about the fact that he's going to send the Holy Spirit into the hearts of those who believe in him so that we have the power to understand and the power to walk with God and the power to offer forgiveness and the power to speak truth. And it is a beautiful picture of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Jesus is waiting. Do you want to know why Jesus is waiting to set their hearts ablaze? Why they have tongues of fire? Why he's waiting? It's because Jesus obeyed the Old Testament perfectly. And the Holy Spirit couldn't come until the feast of firstfruits, Pentecost. And so God is following his word perfectly. He's saying, the Spirit's not ready yet. The Spirit's going to come in line with how I said it was going to happen, and I'm going to make it happen exactly how I said it would happen. It's going to come at Pentecost, at the Feast of Firstfruits, because I have an order I'm following. Listen, God has an order that he wants for your life. The question is, will you allow him to set your heart ablaze? Will you allow him to set your heart ablaze for his word, for him and who he is, and will you then go tell people, will you run seven miles to tell people my heart's been set ablaze? I, I know God, I know he's forgiven me, I know I've repented, and if I've repented, the Bible says I can trust that he's forgiven, I don't have to play a game with him of like, I gotta be better, no, you, don't, you can't be good enough. God offers forgiveness, and he says all you have to do is admit how terribly wicked you are and how desperate you need a heart change. And if you'll believe that and you're willing to die to your old life and allow me to come in and bring a new life, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I'll walk with you for the rest of your life to make you more like me. That's called sanctification. That's exactly what we see. Listen. You may be in a period where your heart's really not ablaze for God. There are moments, you look in scripture, where people had struggles and fights. Can I just encourage you? God hasn't given up on you. He hasn't. And he wants to make himself known to you through the Bible, through the scriptures. Start reading. Start reading the scriptures. Ask questions like Cleopas was of other believers. Ask a pastor, ask a lead, ask, like get in it and want to know. Do you want to know the most encouraging thing you can get as a pastor? I love getting emails from people trying to understand scripture. And I rarely get them. Which tells me they're probably not reading scripture. Because I have lots of questions. And when I have questions about scripture, what do I do? I post to our Slack page to all the staff. I'm like, what do you guys think about this? And it's every day, isn't it? Every day. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. What do you guys think? I'm reading this, right? I don't know. Okay, well, let's talk. 
and then they don't respond to me. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's, like, we all work other jobs, so it takes some time. But like, where's that desire to want to know who God is? Listen, that's what communion is. Communion is that declaration to say, God, I'm coming to you because it says I'm supposed to have the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And communion is that moment that I remember that in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the grape juice, it reminds me of what Christ did. And it's like, a, it's, a, it's a new starting point. It's, a, it's to remember what Christ has already done for me. The communion doesn't fix me. The bread doesn't magically make me different. It's a, it's a reminder of who's behind it. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in him and you have repented and you've said, I, I just want him, I surrender, the communion table's open to anyone who would say that. You may not feel worthy to take communion, because of sin in your life or something that you're going through. Listen, confess it to him. Tell him that. Say, God, I just don't feel worthy. And then go to the communion table believing that he's worthy to forgive you. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel it. My heart's not ablaze. But I believe that you told me that if I do this, that I can remember that you forgive, that it's all about you, it's not about me. And so I take this communion as a remembrance of that. And it encourages me that I can see you. See, that's the beauty of what we're doing with communion. And so could I encourage you this morning that if you know Jesus Christ, the communion table's open. If you've dealt with your heart, the communion table's open. If you don't know Jesus, if there's things in your heart you're, you're standing up to God and you say, I don't want to deal with and I'm not there, don't take communion. Don't make a declaration that you're really with Jesus and you're really, you're really about him when you're not. Don't do it. But I'd encourage you to do this. In the midst of not doing that, don't just fold your arms and say, I'm done with you, God. Open up your arms and say, God, I don't, I'm not doing it. I need, you, I need your help. And see what he'll do. And then reach out to someone else and say, I didn't take communion, and here's why, and I need help. I'm struggling. Let them pray for you. Let them encourage you. Them teach you from God's word about the truth of who you are and how much he loves you and how sinful you are and how forgiven you are and all the things the Bible says because that's what communion represents.